The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Psalms, The Anatomy of the Soul. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. I have been as a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed. With scorn and disgrace may they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually and will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those to come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you, my soul also, which you have redeemed. And my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long, for they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. This is the word of the Lord. So for the past four weeks now, uh, we've been going through a series titled The Anatomy of the Soul, which is based out of the book of Psalms. And in it, we've been looking at emotions, and we've been seeing that feelings and emotions are not just for the sake of having feels, but they're for the sake of us growing closer uh, to understanding the voice of our heart and leading us toward full living. Uh, so through the Psalms and through this series, that's been our goal. Because for many of us, we learned how to deal with our emotions. We learned how to deal with our feelings at a young age. And we learned how to deal with them and express them in ways that may not have been healthy ways to deal with them or express them. So in this series, it's kind of our goal to kind of dig up some of the, the maybe the lies we've believed or some of the uh, half-truths we believed or maybe just some of the unhealthy patterns that we've begun to live in. And we want to dig some of that up and, and hopefully push us toward uh, full living, push us toward an abundant life. John Calvin famously said that the Psalms uh, show us the anatomy of the soul. And through the Psalms, we see David and we see others like him uh, freely going to God and, and others like us and sharing their loneliness and their guilt and their sadness and their fear and their shame and gladness and hurt. And they share those things freely. And uh, it's encouraging that we see that men like David and others like him were in fact real human beings that they didn't just live on these mountaintop experiences and always uh, have great times in life, but they were, in fact, humans. And they show us that emotions are, are an inescapable reality of life as we live and breathe here on earth. And uh, Chip Dodd, who's an author who wrote a book called The Voice of the Heart, he said, to not feel is to not be alive, although sometimes being fully alive is excruciating. To not feel is to not be alive, though sometimes being fully alive is excruciating. So this morning as we talk about the subject of hurt, we realize and I realize that this is something that we are all dealing with. This is something that some of us maybe are walking through right now. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. There's a pain in your life right now that you're, you're dealing with, or maybe for some others of us, it happened years ago, and we've been carrying a hurt with us for some time now. And maybe we 
haven't dealt with it the way that we should have, or maybe we thought we dealt with it in a, in a right manner, but maybe not. And the truth is this morning that as we're here that, that life is hard and life often hurts. Uh, we live in a world that's not always very friendly and very kind and uh, a, a world that um, just brings pain and just has, has hurt in it. I think it's probably helpful for us to get a little bit of a working definition for hurt as well. Uh, I went to dictionary.com because opening a real dictionary just would have been too hard. So dictionary.com defines hurt a number of ways, but all of them lead back to a central theme. Injury, damage, or harm. Hurt is injury, damage, or harm. I think for most of us uh, that are here today, if not all of us that are here today, I don't think there's any chance in the world that you got to the point of where you are in life right now and you have not been hurt. Every single one of us from the youngest in the room to the oldest in the room, uh, we have been hurt. We've experienced it. We've, we've handled it. It's, it's just a fact of our life. In fact, scripture reminds us in Job uh, 5 verse 7, it says, man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message, paraphrased Job 5-7 this way. He said, don't blame fate when things go wrong. Trouble or hurt doesn't come from nowhere. It's humans. He says, mortals are born and bred for trouble as certainly as the sparks fly upward. So hurt is a theme that runs through all of humanity. Hurt plays a role in actually all of the emotions that we'll be talking about in this series. All eight of them that we'll deal with, hurt has a tie to them. And usually the natural response to hurt is to make it stop. When we're lonely, when we're sad, when we're fearful, when we're guilty, when we have anger, when we feel shame, even when we feel gladness, it has the thread of hurt tied to it. But usually the natural response to hurt is to make it stop. We want this thing to go away. We don't want to feel the pain. We don't want to feel the hurt. But I want to stop and kind of challenge us this morning and, and ask, is this what it's supposed to do? Is this why hurt was given to us? Like, was hurt just given to us as something to push down, something to bury, something to maintain, something to uh, just kind of squeak by with? You know, most often, we want hurt to stop because it makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel exposed. For some of you, you were hurt when you put your heart out there and, and maybe somebody stepped on it. Maybe somebody broke it. In those times when our heart hurts, when we've been hurt, our gut says to pull back. Our gut says to isolate yourself. Our gut says withdraw, retreat, protect, stop feeling this is usually our response when hurt comes into our life. Do whatever it takes to move past this moment. And usually once we've stopped the hurt or at least stopped the feeling of it, we want to prevent that from ever happening again. So what we do is we get about the business of, um, we get about the business of building walls in our lives. We enact policies so that we won't feel hurt like this again. We erect structures that keep hurt out. We find modes of protection about ourselves, and we say, I will never enter into that situation again. I will never give my heart away that way again. I will never, and you could fill in the blank. Those are all ways that we choose to protect ourselves. But here's the deal with hurt. Hurt demands a response. We have to do something with our hurt. We can't continue to bury it down. We can't continue to push it down. It demands a response. And simply just doing what it takes to make it stop doesn't mean that you're healing. You hear me in that? Just doing what it takes to not feel the hurt doesn't mean you're healing. Oftentimes it's in this time when we start doing things that lead us away from the gospel instead of to the gospel. Too often we're looking for relief of our symptoms instead of a solution. Looking for relief from our symptoms instead of a solution to the problem. Let me put it into a little better context for you. If you were out today and you were doing something foolish or maybe you were just doing something normal and you fell and broke your leg, there's no doubt that all of us would go to the doctor, we'd get our legs set, and we'd put it in a cast because we know that's the way for healing to take place. None of us would look down and know that we had a broken leg and go home and sit on the couch and refuse to acknowledge it. None of us would say, no, my leg is not broken. I do not need healing from this. I do, this bone is fine the way it is sticking out the side of my leg. It'll be okay. No, all of us would go to a physician. All of us would go to the place where healing could take place. We'd get the bone set. We'd get the cast put on, and we would, we, would, um, not, we would look for the solution. But many of us are people who are walking around on paid meds, refusing to acknowledge the hurt. 
We're refusing to recognize that we have a broken leg. We're refusing to get up and walk. We would go to the doctor and we would go to the physician because we know the benefits outweigh the cost. If we don't get the bone set, if we don't get the healing we need, we know that the costs far outweigh the benefits of going to the doctor and getting the leg set. But many of us do this. We walk around on pain meds rather than seeking the physician's touch. I want to do something with you real quick, and I want to see if you'll, you'll kind of use your mind's eye here and go with me. I want you to hear some of the words that people use to describe their hurt, and I want you to kind of picture the statement when you hear it. So you can close your eyes if you need to do that. Do not fall asleep on me, okay? But go with me and, and hear and kind of feel what people are saying in this. Here's some of the statements people said when they were hurt. It crushed me. The rug was pulled out from under me. I was stabbed in the back. I was blindsided. Didn't even see it coming. It was like a spear to the chest. It broke my heart. These are all words people have used to describe their hurt. These are all painful images. All of them scream within us. You can, you can picture it happening. Someone being crushed in upon. Someone having a rug pulled out from underneath of them. Someone being stabbed in the back. Being blindsided. Caught off guard. Caught out of nowhere. A spear to the chest. A broken heart. I remember one of the first times uh, one of my boys got hurt. My son was about, a, uh, about seven years old at the time. And he was going on a trip with another family up to the Dells for the weekend. The parents asked us. We said, yeah, he can go. That'll be a great time for him. He got in the car with them. He rode off. We, it was great, right? We had one kid at home who knew how to take care of himself, so it was a party for us at our place, okay? So he went off to the Dells with his friend for the weekend, uh, and the family he went with, they were staying at a relative's house. And apparently, at some point in this process, when my son was staying at this other people's house with his friends, he did something to make the owner of the house uh, upset. The owner of the home didn't approve of something that he did. And the owner of the home verbally assaulted my son, just blew up at him, went off on him at a seven-year-old, screamed at him, yelled at him, just, just, just lit him up. A grown man threw words at a child that cut him down pretty quickly. About three days after my son had returned home from the trip, the mother of the family actually called us to explain what had happened. Three days later, in those three days, my little seven-year-old son had never once mentioned that somebody yelled at him. Never once mentioned this event at all. And the mom called and talked to my wife and said that he had been yelled at, that he had been screamed at, that he disrespected the owner of the house. And this owner of the house went off on him. And as soon as my wife was on the phone and, and she was in tears as she was talking to this other mother and she got off the phone and she came to me and she, and she was crying in the midst of that. And as soon as I, I heard her say it, like I just melted. My son wasn't in the room, so I went to him. And I just started to talk to him. I sat him down next to me and I began to walk through it with him. And as I began to ask him questions about what had happened and, and did he make someone mad and how could he make, you know, what did he do to make somebody mad? And he just stared at me. He didn't say a word. He didn't nod his head in disagreement. He didn't deny that it happened. He just stared at me. And I was trying to get through to my son and I wanted to know what was going on with his heart. And he just said, he was so mad at me. I didn't understand. I just said to him, I said, that hurt on the inside, didn't it, buddy? And he just melted, just cried and cried, and I cried, and he cried, and we sat on the couch, and I just, I just rocked him. I didn't have words for him. I didn't have, I, 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 don't, I didn't feel that I had what he needed, and he was hurting. And I'm not a psychologist by any means, but what happened to my son that day and what he experienced that day was abuse, and it was hurt. And it hurt deep down inside. For three days, he didn't even mention it. Didn't even bring it up. Told us the trip went fine. Told us he had a good time. Talked about duck races and all the other 
things and never even mentioned it. At seven years old, he learned how to bury his wound. And until he vocalized it three days later, there was no way for him to heal from it. Until he vocalized it, until somebody else brought it up to him, he couldn't even get it out. He couldn't even process that he'd been hurt. His heart was wounded at seven years old, and, and now he carries the scars of it as a growing young man. And I tell you that story because of this. I want to ask you, and I want to ask myself as I did preparing for this, is how long will you and I pretend that we aren't hurt? How long will you and I pretend that we aren't hurt? How long will we pretend that these things have not happened to us? That we haven't had harsh words said to us by someone? That we haven't put ourselves out there and been hurt by someone? Like how many beatings can we endure and pretend they haven't happened? How long can we minimize? How long can we deny? And when we do deny and when we do minimize, we leave our hearts out bleeding. We walk around as wounded people. Those that bear the scars of hurt. Too often, again, we look for something else to make our symptoms go away rather than seeking a solution. Rather than seeking a solution. My son, for three days, walked around wounded with his heart bleeding. Too often, you and I find ourselves, we pursue things as adults. We pursue, we prefer, excuse me, we pursue food. We'll pursue drinks, alcohol. We'll pursue drugs. We pursue work. At least people appreciate us there, right? At least we, we have something that that's, we can mark off a list there. We pursue discipline. Like if we follow the rules, we won't get hurt anymore. A plus B equals C, right? If I, if I just do A and, and then add B, things will go my way. We, and we, we pursue discipline. Others of us, we pursue intellectual achieve, achievements. We just try to outsmart other people. We try to hide our hurt behind the things we've accomplished by having maybe a degree on the wall or an achievement award on the wall or uh, praises or accolades from other people. Even if it's not our actual wall at home, it's at least on our Facebook wall. We've got people that are acknowledging us or others. We pursue things like relationships or let's just make it more simpler. We, we, we go after sex to numb ourselves. There's all kinds of things, money, entertainment, vacations, and we look to all these things to mend ourselves, and none of us, none of them do. And we know that none of them do because we continue to pursue them. If they mended us, we wouldn't have to go back to them time after time after time. If the food was the thing that would heal us, we wouldn't need to keep going back to it. If the drinks or the drugs or the work or the discipline was the thing that healed us, we wouldn't have to keep going back to them but we do. They always leave us wanting. They always leave us going back for more because all of these things are an attempt to numb us. They actually keep us from actually experiencing healing. It's not that any of these things in and of themselves are bad. It's just that none of these things were intended to heal us. Oftentimes when we get hurt, we feel empty. It's as if a vital part of us has been stolen we got hurt and there was a wound and we felt empty. When others break a trust we've placed in them, they also break our spirits. Listen, I want to challenge us this morning that it's what we do in these moments that determine if we'll continue the cycle of hurt in our life or if we'll break the pattern of hurt and begin to seek healing. Many of us have walked around as wounded people for a long time and all we know is hurt and all we know how to do is deal with the hurt. But there is a solution to the hurt. There is hope for those of us that are hurting this morning. And we have an opportunity to break the cycle of continuing to hurt or to seek healing. There's a real danger if you and I do not seek healing from our hurt. What happens is hurt leads us to resentment. Hurt leads us to resentment. Let me walk you through a scenario and see if this sounds familiar to you. So you're sitting at home, you're with your spouse. Those of you that aren't married, just imagine that glorious day when you are, okay? Yeah. Listen to this situation. Something's bugging you. You had a long day at work or, or something happened. Something's bugging you and your spouse asks you, what's wrong? What's wrong? So let's just speak to the husbands in the room because we're really good at this, okay? Ladies, you're off the hook for now, okay? You're the ones asking questions because that's what you do, right? You ask us men questions and you try to get things out of us that we just refuse to give because it's so hard, okay? So what's wrong? Your husband says to you, nothing. 
Now, if nothing was wrong, would you have felt the need to ask him the question in the first place? No. Like you don't walk into a room, what's wrong? Okay, you, you, you see it in someone. It leads you to ask the question, what's wrong? And we say nothing. Now, I want to I wanna, uh, kind of step on some toes here. What we just did in this, this moment, fellas, is we lied. Now, that's simple, right? Like, yes, I get that. But listen, what we're doing is so much more than just a lie. What we're doing is we're actually punishing our spouse and we're making our spouse beg for a relationship with us because we despise the admission of our own hurt. Think about the situation. What's wrong? Nothing. Do you really want her to go away or do you want her to keep pushing in on the situation? Oh, honey, let me make you something. Would you like steak? Would you like Oreos and milk? Would you like, what would you like? How can I make this situation better? They keep digging, right? They keep asking. They keep wanting to know. And what you and I are doing, we're actually manipulating that person. What we're doing, instead of admitting our hurt, yes, I am hurt. And here's what happened. We're saying nothing, but please ask more. What? That's manipulation. What we're doing is we're saying, I need you to enter into this hurt and I need you to fix it. I want you to do the work of figuring out why I'm hurt. I want you to heal me because I refuse to do the work. Do you see how backwards that thinking is? That's not healthy for a relationship. Instead of just saying what you said hurt me or what happened at work hurt me, we say, you figure it out. You keep digging deeper. You keep chiseling away. What we do is what, what, sorry, what we do is we start to build a case for our hurt too. And we justify our behavior because after all, you have a right to be hurt. Did you hear what he said to me? Did you hear what she said to me? I should never be treated this way. I have a right to be hurt. They didn't respect me. They didn't pay attention to me. They didn't hear me out. And what we've done instead of acknowledging the hurt we feel is we reject those who reach out to us. Those who say, what's wrong? We reject them. We push them away. We say, I don't really want you to know, but I do want you to know. And I know this is an awkward cycle we're about to walk through, but will you bear with me? Instead of just saying, I'm hurt. What's happened in our hurt is that you and I have actually recognized that life is not the way you want it to be. And it hurts. But instead of feeling the weight of that, what we've done is we make it someone else's fault so we don't have to face it. Do you hear that? Things are not the way we want it to be and it hurts us. But instead of admitting it and feeling the weight of it, we make it somebody else's fault. They hurt me. They did this to me. They said that. They said this. They pushed those buttons. What happens in this situation is now both people are trapped. You are trapped in your hurt and they are trapped in trying to fix your hurt. And it's a cycle that goes on and on and on. And you're both trapped until you stop resenting, start feeling your hurt and take ownership of your actions. Without doing this, you and I continue to be left empty. And it's at these empty hurt moments that you and I have a choice to make on where we're going to go. We have a choice to make that if, if we're going to run to God for refuge, or if we're going to look for something else to continue to fill us. The psalmist here in Psalm 71, if you have a, a, a Bible with you this morning, I want to ask that you to open up and, and turn there with me. The psalmist this morning goes to God as a refuge. He looks to, to him to rush to his aid because he alone is the one that can fill our lives with joy. Psalm 71 is our psalm for the morning, and this psalm is rich. But because of the time restraints we have on us this morning, I want to kind of lump some verses together. And I want to encourage you to take some time this week, maybe on your own, to walk through it slowly and hear and feel and listen to the psalmist's words. As you're in missional community this week, I hope you'll take an opportunity to read through the psalm together and feel it and hear the weight of it and hear what the psalmist is crying out to the Lord. We're going to begin walking through this together this morning, but let me give you a couple quick things before we go on. Charles Spurgeon, in summing up this psalm, says, we see the utterance of struggling but unstaggering faith. Reworded for today, we could say, the voicing of hurt but unshakable faith. David in his hurt cries out to God, 
David cries out to the one who can rescue him. In fact, if you have the ESV version this morning, there's a title over Psalm 71 that says, forsake me not when my strength is spent. That's exactly what hurt does. It spends our strength. Leaves us on the floor. I was watching TV this week and in the midst of the Olympics, that life alert commercial came on where the lady, the older ladies just laying on the floor, right? I've fallen and I can't get up, right? And as a kid, I love that commercial, right? We'd go to school every time somebody would fall down. And, but as an adult, and as I heard that and I saw that and maybe even maybe took it too far, maybe entered into that lady's pain, you and I are a lot like that in our hurt. But instead of I've fallen and I can't get up, we're saying something like, I'm hurt and I don't know what to do. I'm hurt and I don't know where to go. Let's look and start in verses 1 through 4 today as we get started uh, going through this psalm. Psalm 71, verses 1 through 4. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me and save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I continually come. You have given the command to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. Listen to some of the phrases David uses here. In you, I take refuge. Deliver me. Rescue me. Incline your ear to me. Be to me a rock of refuge. You are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me from the grasp of the wicked. In this psalm, right here in just the first four verses, we see that David wastes no time going to the Father. And as of now, in the psalm, we don't even know why. We don't even know why David's hurt. We don't even know why he's running to God. It's interesting, though, what he does when he goes to the Father. You see, David isn't reminding God who God is. David is reminding himself who God is. In saying all these things that God is, David is reminding himself. And this is absolutely crucial for us in our hurt. We need to remember who God is in our hurt. He is a refuge, a deliverer, a rescuer. In our hurt, though, all too often, we forget who God is. Like when hurt comes our way, we say things like, oh man, this like I'm hurt, God must not be here. Like how do we get there so fast? I'm hurt, God must not be here. We move toward isolation and self-sufficiency right off the bat. But I want to challenge us. Is that, again, what hurt was meant to do? Was hurt meant to push us toward isolation and self-sufficiency? Was hurt meant to make us live off pain, pain meds and not find a solution? Or was it meant to draw us exactly where it draws David? Just last week, Sam talked from Psalm 34 a little bit and talked about when David professed there, God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near to the hurt. We can go to him. We can run to him. In verse two, David says something I absolutely love. He says, incline your ear to me. David calling out to God, incline your ear to me. I want you to picture this. What David is picturing is actually the picture we get from a nurse or a mother who bends down to the bedside of a patient and cleans up our scrapes, nurses our wounds, and applies a cool compress to our forehead. Not too often, though, do we picture God that way. Bending down at our bedside, bending down and meeting us in our hurt. Picture a nurse or a mother tending your wounds, applying the cool compress to your forehead. Then David goes further. According to verse 3, when that process is over, we're placed inside a firm fortress. Now listen, not just a home, a firm fortress. I was already on dictionary.com, so I looked up on dictionary.com the word fortress. It says a fortress is this, any place of exceptional security, a stronghold, So David here isn't just talking about like some shack in the woods or some place out in the country. David is talking about a maximum security structure, a place that's impenetrable, a place where outside things cannot come in and destroy. This is what we're given. God inclines his ear to us, nurses us at our bedside, and then places us within a maximum security fortress. Man, to have the kind of faith David has just in these first first four verses is exceptional. Like, how do we get this kind of faith? And David actually doesn't leave us hanging very long. Look at what he says in verse five. 
For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is is one of the first times we're introduced to uh, David. Actually, the first time we're introduced to David. And in 1 Samuel 16, David is characterized as ruddy. I've been called a lot of things in my life. (laughs) And many of you have probably been called a lot of things in your life. But this is the first time we meet David and we find out that he's ruddy. (laughs) Like, neat. (laughs) What a great introduction. Like, that's how we were going to introduce Rusty this morning, but we changed our minds last minute, right? Like we don't usually call somebody out on their ruddiness, but listen, David is remembering his walk with God from a young age. David's walked with God for years, but listen, it didn't just start in first Samuel 16 when he was referred to as ruddy. Look at verse six upon you. I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. Before David was even old enough to know the power that now sustains him, he was controlled by it. He was sustained by it. David's giving us a picture here. God was with him before his conception. David was present, or excuse me, God was present at David's conception, however awkward that may be. Active in his formation was God. Active when David was being formed in the womb. God was watching as David was born, and God has now sustained him every day since then. You see, David's speaking from personal experience here, not secondhand knowledge. Like David doesn't know a guy who knows a guy who has a cousin, who has a sister, who has a brother, who was a pastor years ago. This is firsthand knowledge. David knows God. He doesn't just know about God. He has a firsthand knowledge. David goes on and gives us even more insight. In verse five, he says, my, tr- I tr- my trust from my youth. Verse six, he says, before my birth and at my birth, I leaned on you. And then in verse nine, he says, don't cast me off in my old age. David now in his old age is asking for strength. David is talking about a life lived in the presence of God. My hope from my youth upon you, I have leaned from before my birth. And now in verse nine, in my old age, forsake me not when my strength is spent. (laughs) David's talking about a life lived in the presence of God. In verse seven, David says something interesting. David says his life is an anomaly. He actually uses the word portent to many because of his faith. His, His life is a portent to many because of his faith. In verse eight, he says that leads him to praise. He says, my mouth is filled with your praise and your glory all day long. Man, isn't David just perfect? This dude just gets it. He does nothing wrong. David's life is perfect. Perfect faith. I bet when David uses the restroom, it does not stink. Like he just gets it, right? And from, from verse one, he's just praising and praising and praising. Verse nine, he's still asking for more strength. This dude just gets it. Like he's all about going after the father. Like, oh, if only I could be like David. But that's not the truth. That's not all there is about David. At the time of David's writing this psalm, he's now an old man and he's experienced hurt upon hurt and he's even been responsible for hurting others. Look at verses 9 through 12. Do not cast me off in a time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and they say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him for there is none to deliver him. Verse 12, oh God, do not be far from me. Oh my God, make haste to help me. Let's keep going to verse 13. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. David is talking about hurt. He's crying out to God in the midst of his hurt, and he's asking for protection. David goes on to say his strength is spent. His enemies, those who are desiring to hurt him, are watching and plotting against him. They're mocking David, and now they've begun to mock the God he worships. That's hurt. Not many of us have people who are lurking around, literally looking to defeat us. But David is a man who's being literally chased in and out of caves, situation upon situation. He's, he's in peril. He's in distress. 
Though our situation may be different, though, we are those that live in constant hurt as well, though. People say ignorant things. People do mean things. And it hurts. Back in verse 7, David made a statement that he had been a portent to many. A portent is actually another word for wonder. His life has been a wonder to many, but not the kind of wonder where people are looking on and being like, oh, David's so cool. This is actually a wonder where people look at David as if he's that weird guy and something's off with him. He's that guy, right? Like, uh, something's just not right. He's a little bit off. That's the kind of portent David is to these people. What's funny about this statement is that, at the, excuse me, that the same type of wonder would later be experienced by one of David's far-off descendants. This descendant would claim power that came only from God. He would assert that the eternal destiny of mankind would hinge on the acceptance or rejection of him and his message. The world's wonder would leave David's far-off descendant to his rejection and death, ultimately death on a cross. And we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But David's life is being watched. His life is being critiqued. And it's not a new thing for him. Since his youth and now in his old age, people have been after him, so to speak. That's interesting because what David is saying is from his youth until now, he has been hurt. But fortunately for David, he did know God at a young age. And he learned to trust God at a young age. So he's had a fortress that he could go to in his hurt. But just because he had a fortress to go to in his hurt, it didn't mean that it protected him from ever being hurt again. David talks over and over about hurt and about enemies. For many of us, though, we may not have been as fortunate as David to know God at a young age. For many of us at a young age, when we experienced hurt for the very first time, we didn't know God. So instead of going to God, we learned how to deal with it. We carried it around with us. We were determined to do whatever we had to do not to experience it again. By the time most of us reached high school, we were, we were like wounded warriors just walking around, just taking on the hurt and walking with it. From little jabs from friends to high expectations from parents, maybe a teacher, maybe a coach who thought you needed to toughen up, rivals at school, like the elementary school rivals, the junior high rivals, the high school rivals at school. There was literally no way to avoid hurt. And you see, it's in our youth that most of us learned how to handle our hurt. For some of it, we just chalked it up to this is the way things are. Maybe parents said to us things like, some kids are just mean. And that's true. Some kids are just mean. Friends said things when they said something hurtful to you. They may have said something afterwards like, oh, I didn't mean it that way. Coaches said, you just needed to toughen up. Hurt has walked, for us, walked with us for many years. Maybe even for a large portion of us in the room today, we knew hurt before we knew God. We knew hurt before we knew God. For others of you, you were fortunate enough to know God at a young age, but it seems like even in knowing God, that hurt has kind of followed you around like a bad penny. Like at every turn, there's hurt. You make another turn, there's hurt. You turn again, there's hurt. And many times this leads us to believe that, that God isn't going to do anything about it. So we need to do whatever it takes to handle it on our own. We need, what, we need to do whatever it takes not to feel this way again, which honestly leads us to worse consequences than the hurt. But to both parties this morning, I want to just lay it out there for us that the gospel says something different. The gospel says something different. The gospel tells us that God is present. The gospel tells us that God is there in the midst of our hurt. And in admitting our hurt, we experience the beginning of relief and healing. When you and I can admit that life has hurt and that life has gotten to us, we can begin to experiencing, we can begin to experience healing from our hurt. It's a courageous step forward for us to admit, I hurt. To admit we hurt is to hope for a solution, not a cover-up, but a solution. When I was uh, 28 years old, so like last year, um, I started experiencing some abdominal pain, like right along my belt line. 
I started experiencing abdominal pain, and it was uh, mainly when I ran. My wife and I were uh, living in Texas at the time, and we were really into running. Uh, we were up to like 10, 11 miles, and we were just like getting after it, just running like crazy people. And if you run that far, you are a crazy person. And we were doing that, and I began to notice that I just had pain every time I would run, just right there on my belt line. And I assumed that since I was now over 25, that this would just be like the course of life for me from this point on, that I was now over the hill, that things would just be breaking over and over and over again. So what I did was I started to ask some of the older men around me if they had experienced similar things when they got over the hill of 25. And I just asked them like, hey, do you remember like waking up and just being like ridiculously sore? And some of them were like, yes, but most said, no, I've I don't know what you're talking about. And a guy suggested to me, he said, maybe you need to change your running shoes. I was like, hey, you're giving me an opportunity to spend money. I'll do that. Okay. So I went out, I bought new shoes. It didn't help a bit. I still had pain. Another guy suggested, well, maybe you're not stretching enough before and after you run. And he was actually right because I hate stretching. So I would just start the run and end the run. And that would be it. Who needs to stretch? Like you'll warm up like while you're running. So I began to stretch more before I I worked out, stretch after I worked out, and none of it brought relief. Finally, it kind of came to a a head. Alicia and I took a group group of students to Six Flags, which was like just amazing, right? You're going to ride roller coasters all day. You're going to have fun. You're going to like eat until you can't eat anymore, and it's going to be a blast. So we go to Six Flags. We had a group of about 30 students with us that we were responsible for. So we're running around. We're checking in with them. We're riding roller coasters, and I got on the very first roller coaster of the day, did the, the, uh, the climb up the big hill, and as we started to go down the hill, like it felt like my stomach was going to explode, like just pain upon pain. And I was like lean back in the chair, but like not like bracing for the screen, but like I'm going to die. Like just, ah, this hurts so bad. And of course, everybody else thought I was just like being a sissy because it was a roller coaster. And like, I was like, no, like this hurts. Like it's bringing me pain. So we got off the roller coaster and I just said to Alicia, I said, I think it's time to go to the doctor. And she gave me the good wife talk. Like, why are you being such a wimp? And I said, no, 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 it really hurts. So we got through the day. I didn't ride any more roller coasters. Actually, most of the day, I just ended up like sitting on a bench, like waiting for students to walk by and saying, are you guys good? Okay, see ya. Like, have fun. We go to urgent care that night. I get there. The little, the the doctor guy comes in and he says, it sounds like you might have an abdominal hernia. It's like, okay. I don't know what that means, but at least we've named it right? And he did this cool test that I only remember from like junior high and high school where he had me turn my head and cough while he had his hand in awkward places. And he confirmed that I did in fact have a hernia. And I thought there's got to be a better way to do this than what he just did. But he said, you're going to have to go to the doctor. You're going to have to go to a specialist and he's going to fix this for you. It'll be, it'll be better soon. So I made an appointment. I go to another doctor. He did the same test again. (laughs) Confirmed. You do have a, have a hole in your abdomen. So what was going on was somewhere along the way, I had a tear in my abdominal wall and my intestines were trying to poke their way out through it. So when I was running, my intestines were like rubbing that hole. And when I went on that roller coaster, my intestines were like, Jeff, we're leaving your body, right? And they're like, we've had enough and we're getting out. Okay. And it was causing this pain. So that doctor said, Hey, it's going to require surgery. We're going to put a cool mesh in there. It's basically like fixing drywall, right? Like there's a hole, we're going to patch it. We'll put some glue over it. You'll be good to go. Okay. So he did. He said, I'll meet you in just a few weeks. We'll go, we'll do the surgery. You'll be fine. So I meet that doctor a couple weeks later. Uh, and I'm in the waiting room before you have surgery. And he looks at me and he says, Jeff, we got to do one more thing. And I was like, if it's that stupid test again, like I'm out of here. And what he did was he looked at me and he handed me a marker and he said, I need you to go mark the spot where it hurts. It's like, what? Like, I'm paying you to fix the spot where it hurts. I don't want to mark the spot. Like you did x-rays, you felt in weird places. Like you told me that I had this. And he said, I just need you to go put an X on where it hurts. So I went to the bathroom with my cool little blue marker. And I put a mark right on my belt line where, where I was having the pain. And then I don't remember anything else from that day except waking up and thinking like it was better before this. 
So I, what happened was this doctor goes in, he, he uh, pinpointed where my wound was, but he didn't just pinpoint it, he made me pinpoint it. So to that doctor, I said, I have a wound. That doctor's solution was surgery. For six weeks, I couldn't do anything physically exerting. Try having two young men in your house that want you to do everything physically exerting and not be able to do anything physically exerting for six weeks. Then for three months after that, he said, take it easy. Like, what does that even mean? Take it easy. I want you to hear what I'm saying in this this morning. To experience healing from my wound, I, one, had to acknowledge my hurt. I had, then I had to pinpoint it. Then I had to allow someone else to operate on it. And then I had to allow healing to take place. Acknowledge my hurt. Pinpoint it. Literally mark the spot. Allow someone else to operate on it. And then allow healing to take place. Listen, I know what you're thinking. I haven't been hurt that way, Jeff. You don't know what he said to me. You don't know what they did to me. And, and, and I get it. I hear what you're saying. And I want you to know that this abdominal hernia that I had, I don't think that I caused that either. I don't think that I was the cause of my hurt. I can pinpoint two specific incidents where I think that it occurred at the hands of somebody else. Actually, it was two students in my youth group that I believe that this incident occurred while, uh, anyway, an incident with them. But listen, no amount of bitterness toward those students, no amount of isolating myself from them or from the environment in which they would be, no amount of expecting them to fix it was ever going to make it fixed. Never. They never could have fixed the abdominal hernia that I had going on. No bitterness, no amount of isolation, no expecting them to fix it was going to fix it. I had to go to the physician and I had to acknowledge to him that I hurt. Now listen, in this Psalm, that's what David did in verses nine through 13 that we just read there. Now I want to lead you and show you what happened after surgery took place on David's wounded soul. Look at verses 14 through 17. David says, But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord God I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds David saying, I will hope in you continually. I will praise you. My mouth will tell of your righteousness. I will remind them of your righteousness. You have taught me and I will proclaim your wondrous deeds. Listen, David's wounds have been mended. David's hurt has been mended. And so can yours be this morning. Fixing things is the way of God. God can do for you what you cannot do for yourself, but you've been trying so hard to do. I heard a story of a mother and her daughter this week, and the daughter asked the mother, what is God doing all day? And the mother answered, mending broken things. God takes damaged, hurt goods like us and brings renewal. Through Jesus, we receive healing from our hurt and forgiveness from the hurt that we have caused. Jesus, our great physician, operates in a different manner than we're used to, though. Jesus took our, per, our hurt upon himself on the cross so that we could experience forgiveness from the hurt that we've caused, as well as healing from the hurt that's been inflicted upon us. I want you to look at verse 20 with me this morning. David says here, you have made me see many troubles and calamities. Will re- excuse me, you who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again from the depths of the earth. You will bring me up Again, like why would Jesus take our hurt upon himself? Scripture says in 1 Peter 2.24 that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Listen, in your life and in my life, you have experienced many troubles and many calamities. But David points out to us who it is that caused those things to happen. Who does he say in verse 20? You. You who have made me see many troubles and, and calamities. God, in his sovereignty, placed something in your life and in my life that caused, us, caused our heart to awaken to our need for him. 
This pain, this hurt, this wound in our life was not given to us just to beat us up. It was given to us to awaken our heart to him. Now there's more bad news before we get to the good news though. The truth of this is that you and I are sinners. The Bible says that we are enemies of God. David goes on and he says, revive me again. Revive me again. Give me life again. David's acknowledging that life was given by God at birth, not just to him, but to you and I also. But now we need revival. You and I need spiritual life if we're ever going to say what David is saying in this psalm. The truth is you have hurt God in your sin. Listen to the way Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our bodies and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen to the words that Paul uses there. Dead and sin, sons of disobedience, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, children of wrath. Humanly speaking, if anyone did one of those things to us, we would be hurt. Spiritually speaking, we did them all to God. So you are not only hurt, you hurt. You hear that? You are not only hurt, you hurt. Hurt. You have hurt God in your sin, in your disobedience. I have hurt God in my sin and my disobedience. Hurt people, hurt people. And we have hurt a, a, a holy God. We have offended Him. So, what do we do? Where do we go? Hebrews 12 2 says this looking to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 3 goes on. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. Jesus endured our hurt so that we could be revived. God has not abandoned us to fend for ourselves and compensate for our hurt. When we grow weary or faint-hearted, we want to retreat back into our hurt, but we must be those that look to the cross, look to the finished work of the cross and remember the price that was paid for our salvation. If God did not care for us, then there would be no need for the cross. On the cross, Jesus was hurt for us. On the cross, Jesus took your hurt and my hurt and performed perfectly in the midst of us, in the midst of it. What David is doing here is David is rooting himself in the truth of the gospel. David knew the solution to his hurt and the hurt that he had caused a true holy God was only found in the father's healing hands. When David acknowledged he had hurt God and he acknowledged his hurt, he allows God to heal it. He doesn't try to compensate for it. He doesn't try to jump through hoops. He goes to God with it. Charles Spurgeon famously said, We are not those who throw our anchor downward, but we are those who throw it upward. Where have you been throwing your anchor this morning? Have you been throwing your anchor anchor downward to the solutions of the world? Or have we been throwing our anchor upward to the great physician? Listen, we are those that look to the finished work of God, the finished work of Christ on the cross And now we are those that look for the finished work of Christ to come today. We look forward to the day when there will be no more hurt. We look at what Christ did on the cross for the ultimate healing from our hurt. By his wounds, we experience healing. And one day we will experience full healing at his return or when he calls us home. The magnitude of the gospel is this. There will be nothing old, dilapidated, impure, worn out, or hurt in the kingdom of Christ and how how we long for that day. In the kingdom of God, we will encounter nothing that has a hurt memory tied to it. David goes on and goes back to verse 18 and says, so even at my 
Even to my old age and gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. David now begins to live out of his identity as a missionary. He realizes that his healing from his hurt and the hurt he has caused only comes from God. And now he lives out of his identity of of a missionary and goes and shares that. He desires to be protected from hurt so that he can proclaim it to another generation so that he can go out and live it. David wants the world to know who has healed him, who his fortress is, who has walked with him all the days of his life. I wonder this morning what we desire for the world to know about God. Does the world we live in know that Jesus heals the hurt and hurting? Listen, if, if any other worldly physician healed you the way that Jesus has healed you, there'd be no way that you and I could keep that to ourselves. There's no way that we wouldn't tell the world about that. The rest of the psalm goes on, and it's a psalm of thanksgiving. And I want to bring us to a close just by highlighting Psalm 21 through 24, or excuse me, Psalm 71 verses 21 through 24. It's because of David's hurt and the the healing that he's experienced from it that he can say what he says here at the end of Psalm 71. Verse 21, he says, you will increase my greatness and comfort me again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, O my God. I will sing praises to you with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed, and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. Today, we can experience healing from our hurt through Jesus. Jesus took on our hurt upon himself on the cross and provided forgiveness for the hurt that we've caused a holy God and provides healing from the hurt that's been placed upon us. If we continue to ignore, minimize, and deflect our hurt, we're keeping ourselves from intimacy and healing from the Father. King David is a child of the king, and David comes to the ultimate king's table here at the end of the psalm with thanksgiving in his heart. And we see that David is welcomed at the king's table. And if you've ever sat around a table with family, you know that there's intimacy at a dinner table. There's conversations that take place there that are deep and enriching and loving. And today, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And as we come to the Lord's table and take the Lord's supper, those of us that have placed our faith in Christ's healing hand are welcome to come with the table with thanksgiving as well. As we take the bread this morning, we remember Christ's body that took our hurt upon himself. As we take the cup, we remember the blood that was shed for our hurt to be healed. This morning, God offers forgiveness through Christ for the hurt that you have caused him in your sin. Believers, the cross this morning bids us to come with your hurt to the healer. Let me pray. Father, today as we have walked through this psalm and walked through our hurt, it's evident and it's true and it's, it's just there, Father. We are all hurt people. We have hurt you in our sin. We have been hurt by others in their sin. But we know that Jesus is the healer of both of those hurts. Jesus offers forgiveness of our sin. Father, we were enemies of yours. We were living against your ways. But yet you sent your son to the cross to offer forgiveness. You provided payment for the hurt that we caused to you when we were living life on our own terms, seeking our own way, going after our own fleshly desires. You offered forgiveness. And Father, today, As many of us walk around as hurt people who don't know what to do with our hurt, I pray that, Father, you would help us to be reminded to bring it to the cross, to bring it to the ultimate physician, to bring bring it to the one who is our rock and our fortress, our stronghold, the one who can rescue us from the hand of the wicked. Father, this morning, 
I pray that we would do that heart work. Father, if you've awakened something inside of our heart, may we call out to you and seek forgiveness from our sins. May we repent and turn to the gospel and turn to the finished work of Christ for our salvation. Father, for those of us that have been burying our hurt and hiding our hurt, may we bring it to the healer. Today, Father, you know our hearts. During this time in which we come to your table this morning, Father, would you bring to mind those hurts that we haven't brought to you? May we confess them. May we repent of them. May we seek healing from them and fully enjoy the gift that this table is. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.